If you will uh, grab your Bibles and open to uh, Psalm number 51, Psalm 51. I just want to let you know that I do realize that there's a picnic today. And uh, some of you have looked at your outline and you said, look at all the blanks. We're going to get them done quickly today. We want to welcome those that are joining us uh, as they're streaming live with us today from all over the country and some that, for whatever reason, weren't able to get out. We're so thankful they're here joining us as well. And also each of you. Psalm 51, we're in week number seven of this series as we look through a number of different psalms, lyrics for life. And we started out the first five weeks with some relatively obscure psalms. And I shared with you, we're gonna go from the more obscure to, to at least the more familiar. And today, uh, I mean, how would you preach any series through the book of Psalms without including Psalm 51? And uh, when we think about this incredible psalm, so often it is spoken of, preached, proclaimed in very dark fashion. And I come to you today with a word of encouragement as we look at these well-known and familiar words. If you look at the little inscription above this pericope, this chapter as we know it in our English Bibles as Psalm 51, you probably have some type of heading that alludes to it is a moment that David is sharing his heart, David in repentance. Maybe your little inscription says, David uh, out of remorse with his uh, relationship with Bathsheba. Could be a, a number of different words that are, are inscribed there for you. But we know that when we come to Psalm 51, this is one of those very familiar passages that again gives us uh, the, the heartfelt remorse of sin. And certainly, and man, I have done this on many occasions, we could preach Psalm 51 from a warning standpoint. But today, I want to do something a little bit different. I want us to look at this in terms of purity. As I prepared over these last couple of weeks and get, just to get ready for these moments, God just kept bringing into my heart the question, you know, what if David would have remained pure? We know the backdrop, don't we? In fact, it is recorded for us in that narrative over there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. We won't turn there today for the sake of time, but we know that narrative. It was from a rooftop that David saw Bathsheba and he lusted for her. He wanted her. He desired her. And we know it was out of that relationship that came four words that completely changed the direction of David's life. Four simple words. We remember those words all too well as Bathsheba shortly after shared with David, I am with child. Those four words brought incredible repercussions. At that moment, upon hearing those words, David's life for the next year or so dramatically changed. He went into a defensive mode. He went into a cleanup mode. We know ultimately that even caused there to be the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And one thing led to another. And it's out of those four words, I want to share a couple of biblical principles with you today. Most of it is written down for you, but it's important as a backdrop as we look at this subject today of purity. More specifically, how purity can absolutely place a hedge of protection around us. 
And so today I'm coming advocating, let you know up front, the theme of the day is I want to be an advocate for purity in all of our lives. And I want you to be praying about that as we look through these passages. But the Bible tells us an incredible biblical principle, the sins we cover, God will uncover. Write that down. That's a very important biblical principle for us to understand. The sins that we cover, God will uncover. I jotted down Proverbs 28, 13. Remember how the first part of that verse goes? Whoever conceals their sins will not, NIV says, does not prosper. And there's a second biblical principle I want you to jot down as we begin reading in just a moment, Psalm 51. At the backdrop, this principle is very important to us as we walk through these verses as well. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Secret sin here on earth is open scandal in heaven. Would you follow along with me today as we read Psalm 51? I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but let's read down at least through verse 7 or 8 and just get the very flavor and feeling as we get reacquainted with these incredible verses. Here's what God's Word says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin will, is always before me. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and, I, I, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justify justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness. Well, that's a massive statement, isn't it? You desired godliness or faithfulness, specifically purity. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with thy hyssop and I will be and uh, I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than the snow look in verse 8 let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice have you ever thought about the fact that if david had gone to the mosaic law there was no forgiveness for him when he returned to that law because we know that the penalty for adultery or murder in Mosaic law was absolute, it was definitive, it would be death. And so David went to the only place that he could. It was out of the remorse, the heartbreak of sin that David cried out to God and asked God for his forgiveness. I wrote down this incredible statement from Edward Council. Council said, purity is the diamond in the soul. And today, what I want us to do just quickly is lay out two thoughts as we think about the importance of purity. First of all, let's jot this first, this first thought down. Purity protects us from committing sin. Purity protects us from committing 
sin. Now I want you to look very carefully at the first three verses of Psalm 51 and notice what David does as he writes down his feelings, the intimacy that he has connecting the dots of where he is currently in his heartbreak, how his relationship with God has been completely damaged over the course of a, some, uh, at least a little over a year period of time here in his life. David comes and he does so, jot this down with three definitions. David, first of all, when he begins to respond about himself committing these sins, he brings three definitions in connection with this. I want us to look at them carefully. Look, at the, look, look back at verse one. The first of those definitions that I want to give you are, are words and the, and the definition is the word transgressions. Jot that down. The first one in verse number one, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now, transgressions, if we just simplify it, means, and jot this down as well, to step over the line. When you see the word transgression, it means to step over the line. We know that God gives us in his word certain boundaries. What is it? We've been talking a little bit about this on Wednesday mornings in our more at midweek. What is it about believers that have the impression that God's command, his precepts, his law, his word, if you will, are there to restrict us. God tells us over and over in his word that, hey, my word is not so much there to restrict you, but those boundaries are there to protect you. And that is such an important dimension for us to understand. You see, when David stepped over the line, when he committed the transgression of adultery, that's exactly what happened. He crossed the line. When he decided to instigate the killing of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, he once again crossed the line. Even when he stood there on that rooftop and looked out across and he coveted another man's wife, there it was. He stepped over the line. John wrote in 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sinned breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Transgression, stepping over the line. But look at the second thing in verse number two. The second word I want to share with you, wash away all my iniquity. Another definition that he's going to bring to us. He described this second element of what he was bringing to God as his transgression was also what he termed as an iniquity. Now, an iniquity means, in simple terms, twisting. A twisting. Write that down. So often, God gives us so many things in our lives that are there to be good, beautiful, helpful, lovely. But somehow we find a way to distort that, to twist it. In fact, in this particular dimension, God had given Bathsheba in her covenant of marriage and David in his covenants of marriage the opportunity to have the wonderful gift of sex. But David found a way to twist that wonderful, beautiful, lovely concept of sex that God meant for good David found a way outside the boundaries to twist that and therefore it became an iniquity. But look at the third thing in verse two, and cleanse me from my sin. 
Now, we know when we see the word sin in the Bible, it, it renders there for us definition, what? To miss the mark. To miss the mark. It's as if an arrow misses a bullseye. And so sin, uh, so often when we commit sin, it causes us to completely miss the mark of what we're shooting for. One of my favorite old statements that R.G. Lee used to make years ago, the preacher of old, he used to make this statement. He said, sin always promises velvet, but it gives a shroud. It promises liberty, but it gives slavery. It promises victory, but it gives death. It promises nectar, but it always gives gall. It promises life, but it always gives death. And so we have these definitions. Did you get them? Did you get all three of those jotted down? Transgression, iniquity, sin, now that was the definitions that he used when he brought this committing of sin before God. But I want you to show you something else straight from the text today. It's also a vivid description. We see from David's heart a description of the impact of a life that's lacking purity. Man, David, if you'd only, only thought and processed, if you'd only sought out godliness and purity, if you just sought out some constraint, all of these things, all of these consequences, we would have blotted out from the scriptural text. David, if you had only been a man of purity, and this description is given for us, let's just walk through, there's a number of those. Let's fill them in as we walk through. Look in verse number three. Look at this phrase. For I know my transgressions and my sin, look at it, is always before me. Write down this word, eyes. David makes reference here to his eyes. In fact, if you read a, uh, at least two different paraphrases from Psalm 51, you'll see that many of them use this phrase, staring me down. David probably got up when he shaved. There in the mirror is that that very sin that's staring him in the face. On his way, the ride there to the palace, he passes by that grave site, that tomb of Uriah. And there it is, right before his very eyes. The tragic eyes of Bathsheba, when their eyes met, and what has, trans, what has transgressed between the two, it had to have taken him back over and over. Even the brokenness of David's other children, as they looked at him. Think, think for a moment about even in the palace, the look of the servants, what they must have thought. And so David makes reference here in verse three, my sin, there it is, it never leaves my sight. It has impacted my very eyes. But also jot down in verse number six, the mind. It impacts his mind. Look at what it said in verse six. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. Here it is. You taught me wisdom in that secret place, the mind. You know, <laughs> we can believe a lie so long that it eventually, we can say, tell it over and over we can mull it over so many times, it actually starts inside of us to seem like the truth. I'll ask, but don't answer. Have you ever been there? You finally just told the story over and over so many times, even though it's not the truth, that you actually begin 
to believe it. Have you ever stopped to think that sin really causes people to be senseless? I was thinking this week on a number of different occasions that became very apparent. You remember the prodigal son? Prodigal son runs away from his father, does all this crazy stuff, squanders the pig pen experience. And the Bible uses an interesting phrase. It says, when he came to himself. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? When he came to his senses, in other words, his mind had been so log jammed in the midst of this transgression and sin that he got to the point he couldn't even see. Finally, something awakened him in that pig pen. I was thinking about Jesus. Remember he healed that man, Legion? The Bible makes an interesting reference about him as well. It says, there he, there he was when he was healed and they looked at him and he said, look, he's clothed and here it is again. And he was in his right mind. And it just lets us know that oftentimes in the midst of our transgressions, our mind can become senseless, illogical. We've got to hurry. Look down in verse number eight. I see some of you mouthing the words picnic. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Let me hear joy and gladness. A third concept here, the what? The ears. Did you jot it down? The ears. I wonder if old David, I, I don't know about you, but since the revival, can I just hear the affirmation? Has our music not been out of this world? Wow, I don't know what it is, but coming out of that revival, man, we've had such inspiring music. I, I often wonder during that year or so that David was in this sinful condition, hurting, covering up, Trying to, tr trying to mask, trying to persuade others that he wasn't involved and all the trappings that go along with this. I just, I just wonder as he went to temple worship, I wonder if he sat there and watched the temple choir and if he ever thought, you know what? The, the choir just doesn't sound like it used to. There's something about the choir. They're just not on like they used to be. Or maybe his old buddy, the prophet Nathan, got up to teach. And maybe he, had, maybe he began to listen to old Nathan. And he said, you know what? The word of God just, I, I, I don't know. Nathan just doesn't have it. I was sharing with somebody. We were in the hospital um, this week. And uh, Pastor Mike Britton and, 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 and David were already up there. And I, I got up there. And man, no joke, man, the family that was there up in the uh, up in this uh, uh, intensive care unit, there had to be about, I don't know, 20 or 25 family members or people everywhere when I walked down this hall. Some of them were outside the room, some of them inside the room. And I didn't even get up to the family when this lady come dashing out and she says, she was pointing at me, she says, I see you on TV. I watch you every Sunday on TV. And I, I, I got to be honest with you, I wasn't prepared for that. And I just, um, I didn't know what to say. And so I just asked her, I said, well, do I look better in person or on TV? <laughs> in which she quickly responded, oh, TV by a long shot. <laughs> but I asked her a little later when we were standing there at bedside, I said, hey, how, I've never seen one of our telecasts. Never one time have I ever looked at any of our telecasts. But I know because my phone blows up if something goes wrong. 
But I asked her, I said, how, how are the services that you watch? She said, oh, they're, they're really good. Really, really good. She says, I, I, um, I just really enjoy them. And I said, well, good. That's, you know, that's a wonderful thing. But have you ever been there in the midst of your own brokenness? You're in attendance, but things just aren't what they should be. We just came out of a two and a half year study of the book of Hebrews. And one of the benchmarks that I showed our worshipers on Wednesday mornings was out of Hebrews 5. It was the reference that the writer of Hebrews said, and you have become dull of hearing. And I just wonder, as David's crying out, now God, God, my sin's always in front of me. My eyes, I see it, I can't get it out of my life. God, that wisdom, my mind in verse six, it's always there. Verse eight, God, let me hear, let me hear something different. Do you see what he asked for in verse, verse number eight? Let me hear joy for once. Let me hear gladness. Do you hear his heart? And I'm just going back asking you the question, what if purity were there? The heartbreak, the ears. Look again in verse number eight, the body. Jot it down quickly. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I wish we had more time to talk about that. In the Hebrew language, that's what we call the PL. It's, it's in other words, it's intensive. It's an intensive Hebrew word there. And in, in doing so, the NIV, by the way, does a great job of translating this because it renders there, you have crushed the bones. You, you let, let, let the bones that have crushed, they've been broken. And it's, 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 it's a request that they be what? They be healed so that those, even those broken bones can once again rejoice. And it's out of that body. You know, time's an issue today. But we could go back historically and paint a pretty good picture that apparently David's physical body really began to deteriorate during this year of his life. Now, I'm not suggesting today that all sins related to, uh, that, that, hey, every time someone gets sick, that there's some sin that justifies that or is behind that sickness. That's not what I'm saying. But we do know, we oft, often hear psychosomatic we do realize, don't we, how closely our minds and our bodies are linked together. And apparently David is crying out because his health has broken down. We gotta hurry. Look in verse number 10, the word heart. David cries out about his heart. We got the definitions and what are we building a list of? We're building a list of these descriptors, these descriptions. And he says, create in me a pure heart, a pure heart. Sin, we know, makes the heart dirty. Sin is the heart of what dirt is to the body. And again, unfortunately, some of us live so long with a dirty heart that we come to believe that that's really what life is intended to be. And nothing could be further from the truth. Look at the end of verse 10. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
There's the concept of spirit that David brings. Go back up and look at the beginning of verse 10, that word create. You know, that's the same word that's used in Genesis 1-1, barah. That word create. It's a, it's a word that means make something out of nothing. Do you see what David's crying out for there in verse 10? He's saying, God, I have nothing. As I come before you, I have nothing. I have nothing left in worship. Everywhere I go, my mind, my eyes, my heart, my spirit, my body, my ears, what David is crying out for is a complete, total recreation. He's saying, I need a brand new life. Now, I just lumped these together. Look down in verse 14 and 15. I wrote down tongue, lips, and mouth. There are all three there in verse 14. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing your righteousness, verse 15. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. The testimony, the witness for Jesus had been marred in David's life. I wonder, you know, I'm the wondering kind of guy. I just wonder if somebody from the temple wondered, you know, at some point, gosh, it's... it's, it's been a year since David's played his harp. He used to always play that. I mean, it was not uncommon for us to hear him singing. And David, how long's it been since he, he's written a new song? It seems like the whole melody of his life has been ripped out of him. And David just cries out to God and he says, God, that my tongue once again will sing. God, that my my lips, my mouth can once again speak of your incredible praise. Well, there we have it. The first of those two elements, purity. And again, I just ask you, what if purity was in place? What kind of protection could purity have offered there? And so David first cries out about this, this concept of the committing the sin, but I show you this and we close I want you to see that how purity also protects us from experiencing confession of sin. Now, let me just give a little caveat here, a little earmark, a little trademark statement. I'm not suggesting that confession is something bad, but I think you would agree with me today. I hope that if we had our choice between being in a sinful condition and having to confess our sin or that we avoided the sin through the spirit altogether, that would be the much greater option. Can I hear an amen? If we are pure of heart, then we avoid the confessional altogether. And I would just suggest to you this that the longer I looked at Psalm 51, I was just taken back by three resounding things that just jumped out to me about this confession. I just jotted down, it's an extremely personal matter. Extremely personal. I love what David did in verse three. And can we just be honest before we head out to this picnic? Because I know when you get out there, you're going to start cheating in cards and giving signals across the table on dominoes. So before we get to that point and stoop that low to cheat the pastor in dominoes today, (laughs) 
we all know what it feels like to be where David is in Psalm 51. No need to say amen. No need to say anything. Every one of us in here knows what it feels like to be there. And when you and I do have to come and bring our sin before the Lord, remember the biblical principle, that which you try to conceal, God will uncover. When it comes to that moment in our lives, we bring that before the Lord. I would just suggest to you that one thing I would just applaud David for, David said in verse three, did you, did you see it? He says, I know my transgressions. I acknowledge my transgressions. You know, we live in a culture today that always wants to blame someone else. Man, I hope if you don't hear anything else this morning, you'll hear this. We live in that kind of culture it's my ethnicity that's to blame. It's my mother that's to blame. It's my socioeconomic status that's to blame. Someone else calls me to do it. But I love what David has done there. Maybe David has been around the world in a year or so in his heart and his mind. Maybe he's tried every escape valve he could and maybe there just was none. But we've got to say this about David. He brought a wholehearted acknowledgement of his transgression. And I remind you, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we, what, confess our sins, he is, what, faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we're thankful for that today. But what if? Purity. We're there to protect. And purity was there to protect. It wasn't a restriction. It was a protection that God had put in place to say, David, you have your own wives. You don't need to take another man's wife. David, you know better than that. And so I just jotted down that confession is really a personal matter. Did you, and I hope I counted right. I know you're going to count them and check me. But I think I counted in the first three verses, 10 personal pronouns. I jotted down these words that were used over and over. Me, my, mine, and I. Ten different times, David brings to us an assertion of personal responsibility. He wasn't a victim. He didn't blame heredity, society, a political party, or anyone else. And I would just suggest to you, think about that. When we come to confess sin and the tragedy of sin in our lives, it always is going to have to end up being, if it's a true confession, a very personal matter. But I also jotted down this. It's also a theological matter. It's a theological matter. Look in verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David understood it was his sin that had cost everyone else in front of the sight of the Lord. It cost David's family. It cost Bathsheba's family. It cost an entire nation. 
In fact, when you go to the last two verses of Psalm 51, many scholars try to proclaim verses 18 and 19 don't even belong in this chapter. They're weird, they're out of place, and I would suggest nothing can be further from the truth when you think about the repercussions of the national incident. I've got to be very careful here. My wife will remind me on the way to the picnic if I'm tactful here. A few years ago, we had a president that committed a terrible transgression while in the White House. And we're just now seeing the, some of the full ramifications of that. Not just the young lady that was impacted, but her family and a whole nation has been impacted. I would just suggest to you that when we sin before God, it ultimately from a theological perspective is exactly that. It is a transgression against God. We're at enmity, we're at war with him. There has been division between us and our relationship. And the repercussions don't stop, stop there. They go on and on and on. And then finally, confession is a radical matter. It's a radical matter. You know what I thought of when I was thinking about David's situation here in verse 3 and 4 and how he's crying out? I thought of 1 John 1, 9 again. If we confess our sin, homolegio, the, the concept or the same language. You see, for us to come to a point of confession, it's nothing less than a radical act because for many, for, for, many, for the first time with that particular transgression, we are Homolegio, we are speaking the same language as God. You and I live in a really funky society. Now that you can say amen to. Weird. Things that we know are obviously wrong or exalted as right. Things that at one time in culture sneaked down the back alley now are strutting out Main Street. And it's gone further there, pointing at the conservative over on the side, laughing, saying, you're intolerant. That's how far things have gone in our crazy society. But let me tell you something. True confession always has got to be of the same voice as homolegio, the same speech as, the same heart as. You see, confession means, true confession that we are on the same page, if you will. We are speaking the same language as our God is. He says it's wrong, and we agree, same language. That is a transgression that is wrong. And what many of us would say is an accident, God often says is an abomination. Often our culture would say, well, that was just a little blunder. And God would say, blunder, that's blindness. Well, it was just a chance. It could have happened. No, it wasn't a chance. It was a choice. We chose that. It's not a small defect. It's a disease. It's not a fascination with something that we've dabbled in 
it ends up being a fatality. And see, it's only when you and I come to that same language. And by the way, you can't have true confession and still have your pride. Pride goes out the window in a true act of confession. It's a very humbling experience. And I ask again, but David, if you had just reached out to purity, and so as we think about these concepts of these lyrics for life, you never know on any given Sunday looking down the barrel of a camera or in a sanctuary full of people or a pavilion at a picnic, what people are walking through in their life. There may be someone in this place today that you are this close to making a terrible, terrible transgression against the Lord. And today I just want to bring forth to you an understanding that there's no greater benefit to purity than the fact that in purity you always have direct access to the very presence of the Lord. And in purity, God has set us apart. He's distinguished us as his own children. And we've got to remember, you and I are created for godliness. Our Bible says that we're what? We are created in his own imago Dei, in his image. He breathed his own breath into us and we bear his likeness. Now we know that doesn't mean in a physical sense. John 4, 24 tells us that our God is spirit. It can only mean that what we, what we become like him in our spiritual nature, in our moral character, so that we can show the whole world what our God is like. And sin can take that from us. But we're created for godliness. And we're commanded to be pure, aren't we? You remember what Peter's words were in 1 Peter uh, 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 chapter 1 and verse 2? He says, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You remember those next words? To be obedient to Jesus Christ. And you were sprinkled with his blood. Or Jesus' remarkable, simple, clear-cut statement when he says, you seek first his kingdom and his what? Righteousness. Purity. Paul described it this way when he was telling a young preacher, he said in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. And isn't that the whole purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ? Titus chapter two and verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Purity protects would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we just want to thank you. We thank you for how you've inspired us through this time of music. We thank you for the lyrics of that music that connected so many dots. We sang about your blood today. 
We sang about assurance in you today. We sang about the very sweet heaven, the place that one day you'll take us to, that eternal destination. Fathers, we think about what you've given us just in this time to experience worship corporately with others. We just rejoice in that. We rejoice that we saw standing before us a faithful servant. We think about decade after decade after decade where we've been able to see Miss Marine faithful, true, servant of yours. And now, Father, you have allowed us to open your word. Father, you brought us to a passage today that has once again implications for every single one of us because we have all been there. But Father, what if, what if we could come to that point empowered by the Spirit of God where we spend a lot less time confessing and a lot more time celebrating in the victory that the Spirit allowed us to have the strength, the power, the fortitude, the courage to remain pure. Father, do I speak to a heart of a young person that's feeling pressure on this day in a relationship? Do I speak to a dad or a husband today that feels worldly pressure, the squeeze? Father, is there someone here that can hear my voice today that would just echo in their heart, oh, pastor, if you only knew God, help us. Give us the strength to be faithful, godly servants that choose purity. In these things we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing and close today, let me just remind you at the picnic, there'll be people there when we pull up that are gonna help us, guide us on our parking. Can I stress to you that today is not today, it's not the day for our men to show how masculine they are by whoa on their tires, all right? Let's be cautious. Let's be smart, but we have a tractor on duty and ready, okay?